When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From New York City, this is Film Spotting, streaming video units. I am Allison Wilmore. And I'm David Sims, uh, filling in for Matt Singer, who's off on paternity leave. Pleasure to have you here. So happy to be here. <laughs> uh, David is, as I'm sure most of you already know, a film critic at The Atlantic, and he also has his own podcast, Blank Check, which we were just talking about, mm-hmm. and which he co-hosts with Griffin Newman, yep. rising Hollywood star, Griffin, yes, Griffin Newman. Uh, and since he has been kind enough to donate his time here, uh, I turned the main review wide open for him and said, choose anything as long as it's streaming. We'll discuss. And David, you chose. I chose Noah Baumbach's new Netflix original movie, The Meyerowitz Stories. Brackets, new and selected. I don't know about that. Look, it's the Marowitz stories. Um, All right. Yes. So this is Baumbach's first movie for the streaming service, starring Adam Sandler, Ben Stiller, Elizabeth Marvel, as the three children of Harold Meyerowitz, played by Dustin Hoffman, uh, and inspired by the film's depiction of the complicated relationship between Sandler and Stiller's characters also be offering some streaming recommendations of other movies about what happens when brothers grow up. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, let's talk Meyerowitz. Are you Harold Meyerowitz's son, Matthew? Yes. Uh, Mrs. Danny, also Harold Meyerowitz's son. I didn't realize he had two sons. And a daughter. Dad, it would be okay here. It'll be nice to spend time with Dad. You know, I didn't get a lot of time with him growing up. Son of a bitch! So usually here on Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit, we let you vote on what we're going to talk about for our main review. We come up with some titles, we post a poll online, sometimes it's a close race, sometimes it's no race at all. But you know, since Matt's away, if thrown those rules in the air, chaos reigns. Turn the choice over to Mr. Sims here, who chose the Myerowitz stories. We're going to drop the new and selected. Yeah, no, let's 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 dispense with the brackets. Yes. Uh, so this is the first film uh, that Baumbach has made for Netflix, which mm-hmm. has been expanding its original movies in exciting and some terrifying ways. Very terrifying. Like eighty movies next year, they're slated to to pay for. <sighs> yeah, but. They said that, but then aren't there like kids' movies or other like maybe foreign acquisitions wrapped up in that? There's no way they're making eighty movies, right? I just like you know when you look at the amount of money they're spending. Mm. It's inspiring in some ways. So they're like they're paying for content. They're paying for films. They're maybe maybe single handedly funding cinema, but mm. also yeah, I'm not like, inspired. No, like, how is it possible? <laughs> it, 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 it's more. I mean, not to diss Netflix too hard mm. right off the top of the uh, podcast, but um, it's kind of like a someone at Wall Street making like really hostile acquisitions. You know, there's just something <laughs> so 
I don't know, aggressive about the way they're spending. Where it just just feels like it's a statement, and at some point the statement will no longer be required, and maybe then that's when the funding starts going down. Yeah, okay. I don't know. No, I, maybe I, I I'm wrong. That. No, I can definitely see that. I mean, especially you know, like my Arrowhead stories, Boundbucks first film for Netflix. This definitely is a statement film. This is them being like, we're going to make a movie that's going to play at the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah, and. We're going to try and get awards with it. Sure. It's one of a few movies that I think they're kind of hoping might be an awards contender this year. Yep. Um, but they also gave it the kind of mm, confusing day and date theatrical and streaming release that they've been doing for these movies that they think merit or require a theatrical release. I, I think they kind of whiffed the theatrical release. I guess, but I guess it doesn't matter. I don't know. Like... Don't you think so? Oh, like, sure. I don't think that people maybe even knew that it was in theaters. They right. kind of like burp it out into theaters yeah, while at the same time then they splash it in the Netflix homepage and that's what you get. That's what you get. Um, I mean, have you heard Bombeck talking about this in interviews? He's not happy. I haven't, but it doesn't surprise me that he's no, not happy. He's very, because every interview, obviously, you know, they talk about the movie, but then at the end, the, the interviewer will be like, and I have to ask, you know, you have a Netflix movie. How do you feel about netflix and he's basically like bad for cinema you know like not happy yeah which is interesting well I, yeah he's uh he's a kind of old school type as he i think is, this movie this movie makes clear it is a kind of old school new york story um but yes. that that he seems like the kind of person who would have trouble letting go of the theatrical experience and i think and this is shot on film this movie mm-hmm. i think it's his first movie shot on film in a long time yeah and you know uh it's funny that a movie that is kind of about a like is a like a throwback New York in some ways, or Very like much so. that uh, <laughs> is not getting much of a New York release. Probably, I know it was like at the IFC Center for a week. I think I don't know. I mean, uh, look, the Netflix. We can have the Netflix conversation forever, right? I, you know, I think two years ago or a year ago, they they did the thing where they had like fifty comedy specials. Remember that? Where like every yeah. week they had a comedy. They still special. are. I mean, I like I read a piece about how Netflix is almost in a weird way killing the joy of the comedy. They are because there's because nothing, no one wants it anymore, it, right? And it's also they've had to you know dig further down. Not to diss some of the comics who are getting these specials, but like I'm right. not going to be as pumped about some of them as others, obviously. And right, and it's just like. That's just a tactic. They just decided, yep, saturation. That's what we're going to do. We'll see if that works. And it just feels like a lab experiment that, I don't know, may not be successful. (laughs) Right. But But in the meantime, it gave us this movie, uh, which is, as promised, the title, uh, The Saga of the Meyerowitz Family. Yep. Patriarch Harold, played by Dustin Hoffman, a sculptor who is both in denial and acutely aware of the fact that he was never quite as big a deal career-wise. Uh, as he has hoped. Yes, he's a monologuer. He likes to monologue about his career in ways that are sort of, you know, both like, right, he's telling a tale that maybe isn't true about the arc of his career. He's got a slippery sense of the truth right. <laughs> he he, gives, he displays. But he has some acknowledgement. I right. Don't know. I think it's, it's weird. clearly underneath there is a, yeah, a certain no, clearly. Yes, yes. Uh, then he's got Danny, his oldest child, played by Adam Sandler, who's probably the actor who's gotten the most attention for this movie. Yeah. Uh, Danny is a failed musician turned house husband and father to aspiring filmmaker and college freshman Eliza, mm. played by Grace Van Patten. Uh, Danny's also getting a divorce, which has kind of left him adrift at this particularly difficult moment in time. Then there's Jean, played by Elizabeth Marvel, Marvel, who lives upstate. And there's Matthew, played by Ben Stiller, their uh, half-brother. Yep. Uh, Harold has gone through several wives. Uh, Matthew lives in L.A. and has become a successful money manager. 
Uh, there's also Emma Thompson as Maureen, Harold's uh, hippie alcoholic current wife. Uh-huh. And yep. then there are appearances from Candace Bergen, Rebecca Miller, Judge Hirsch, Adam Driver, many others. Yeah, a lot it's of a, people pop up in this movie. Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver as herself. <laughs> as herself. A memorable cameo. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it, it's got a, a, a sprawling ensemble. Mm-hmm. But... As you pointed out when you were choosing this, the topic we would talk about afterwards, it does really feel like a story of two brothers in particular. Yep. So I guess I wanted to ask you about that. Okay. Do you see this as a movie that is a legitimate portrait of a whole family? Or do you mostly see it as like this portrait of two brothers and how they were both kind of shaped by this relationship with their sometimes withholding dad? Like often, I think. Or at least <laughs> with Adam Sandler's character more so. Um but yes, with both of them. Um, yes, I think it, it's a tale of the brothers because as much as I adore Elizabeth Marvel as an actress, and I think she's really good in the movie and very funny, um, the movie pretty intentionally keeps her out of the picture. You know, not She's always there, or often there. She's sort of hanging out. She likes, I mean, she has this big pivotal scene where she's basically like, I like being around you guys. Um, but... For his flaws or not, Baumbach has decided to make a movie about these two brothers that sort of uh, has this like triptych format where the first third is about the Adam Sandler character, then the second third is about Ben Stiller, which is weirdly my favorite part of the movie, even though it's like the kind of the least interesting part. But like because they, I like how the the Sandler portion. Is is weeks at least, right? Like it's it's spanning time, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the stiller portion is all one day, and then this third portion where they're sort of together, and the dad is uh, has a medical incident, and they're in the hospital, and you know, there's and that's when the brothers are sort of like mixing it up. They're not even fighting, but then well, they I mean, they actually they, literally there is a climactic fight, fight. <laughs> right? But I mean, like the movie's not about these two brothers who hate each other. Right? right, like he's not making stepbrothers. No, right? like what's, what's like? Oh a, God, I would. I wish he would. <laughs> a Baumbach, no Baumbach's right. version of stepbrothers. I mean, it, this sort of is his version of stepbrothers. Though it is, it's about yeah. being related to someone and having shared history as someone, but also not necessarily liking them. Like, right. not that you wouldn't necessarily have chose to have yes. a connection with this person. They but have you do. a forced relationship, but they they do have a lot in common. And it is about, you know, their father being the thing, obviously, that they mostly have in common. And it is about them figuring that out. But it's mostly about their relationships, independent relationships to their family, which, of course, you know, includes each other. But and them wrestling with the legacy of this guy who they are both kind of independently realizing is not that impressive. And was obviously so incredibly impressive uh, right. to their development and to their everything, you know. And they're, it's dawning on both of them, maybe, or maybe they, it dawned on them already a little bit, but still, like, they're sort of sitting in it. That, like, their dad's old now, and he's kind of doddering, and, like... Maybe he was never much of anything. Right. And they have to be generous to him. They have to kind of indulge him. They do. And again, these dynamics are so ingrained and they have very different dynamics. Like, I can't keep forgetting. It's Matthew and what's Adam Sandler's name? Uh, Danny. Yeah. Danny and his dad are kind of like, you know, they're buds, kind of. They like watch the Mets. But he's also the lesser son. But he's dad, so yeah. it's like almost like Royal Tenenbaums esque, where like it's he's just very like Royal Tenenbaums. Like you are, you're the first wife's <laughs> son, and you're sort of 
you know, uh, fun to have around, you know, but like he's so openly disinterested in mm-hmm. his like s- social status, I guess. I don't know. He's, he's very disappointed in him. Right. right. I mean, but also like, like relies on him to help around the house absolutely. and like do errands. Yeah. Uh, and then the Matthew is the one where he's like, well, no, like the, the second wife and I'm going to get this kid right. And he's so invested in Matthew's success. He's so happy that he makes money, but he's also obviously so unimpressed by him and has no idea who he is. Yeah. Like no real comprehension of what he does. No comprehension of like what he likes. Like there's just no relationship. Because well, like there. no one followed in his footsteps also, which and he finds no one disappointing followed, right, in right. this funny way because... Because his footsteps it, aren't that grand. They you know, are. Like, and of yeah. course, if someone had tried, he probably would have, you know, been tough to deal with in that regard as well. Right. And then he has this daughter who is like ignored by everybody. Yeah. And I think I actually like it. it I, I think I suspect that I like this movie considerably less than you do. Sure. I don't dislike it, but sure. I'm very lukewarm on it. But the fact that she does not get a chapter really bothered me yeah especially well, when she gets like she gets an uh, what's it like her story <laughs> yes. yeah and it, it's like kind of spat out in a parking lot a hospital parking lot i know i'm not really gonna defend it i i the it's to me it's obviously intentional it's not like sure. Noah Baumbach wrote the movie and was, was then like, like i forgot about that <laughs> sister i should include a whole no i mean you know it's an interesting choice by him to to do that right because the, the the sister character is not functional to the movie. You don't need her no. at any point. She's. No. I mean, I, again, I really enjoy the performance. I think she's very good, but it's not like he could have just lifted the sister out. You right. Know? She uh, has like gone off to have her own life far away. Right. It's like seems like a quiet, but like totally fine. Very one. functional. As much life. as it's explored at all, which it isn't really. Right. Because this is the, like in this opening, uh, not opening scene, but very early scene where they're all having dinner, um, and. Uh, Harold is sort of obsessively talking about like, well, Danny's a failed musician and he's a house husband. He's sort of like talking through his son's career. And then he's, they're all like, we don't even know what you do. And she's (laughs) like, I work at Xerox. I'm like a, whatever, I'm a project manager. You know, she has like a totally normal job in life. Gene, you showed interest in photography. I'm Montessori, yeah. In my office at Xerox, I'm known as the resident auteur. I make funny movies for my co-worker's birthdays. It's really good. We have no idea what Jean does at Xerox. I'm a facilities manager for when special... When was the last job you had, Danny? And I guess that's just yeah. the... That's a that's the joke. And you just... Right. You didn't like the joke. I was I fine with I it. I just liked Elizabeth Marvel so much. She's so good. When's she's she bad? Really, I don't know. But she's so enjoyable in this. And I feel she like... Is. I mean, my, my issue with this film is a lot... I mean, it is funny. It feels... It does feel a bit like the Royal Tenenbaums, which is an interesting, like, it's kind of this weird, like, unmistakable kind of quality with regard to the structure of the family and, like... Yeah, right. But it's also very much, like, it feels like an unofficial sequel to Squid and the Whale. Yep, sure. Uh, you know, Hoffman's character is very much like Jeff Daniels' character. Mm-hmm. I think he even uses some of the same... He uses elegant once. He says something is elegant. Um, he has these kind of pretensions towards this, like, kind of New York intellectual life that the life he's actually leading doesn't always reflect. Yeah. Um, but I just, I felt like this was really comfortable territory for Baumbach. Right. And I'm just, fine with that. But that's the thing is like, for, just for, put on those yes. slacks with a hummus stain. <laughs> like for, he is someone I, I kind of get torn between either feeling like I really enjoy or that I find very tiresome. And like, mm-hmm. I think for me, the low point of that is like Margot at the wedding, which is one of those movies where it's like, 
if like a UFO were to crash into this movie and kill all of the characters right now, I would be overjoyed. Yeah. I cannot stand these people. Margo's tough. But what do you think of the squid and the whale? Because I don't like the squid and the whale I don't either. Like it that much. I find that movie to be similar to Margot at the wedding where I just think it's it's too bleak and nasty and like right. there's just nothing for me to really hold on to. I, I feel exactly that way. Like I feel yeah. like I think Jesse Eisenberg is really good in it because yeah. he is playing a kind of person that I know, you yeah. know, like and we've all maybe recognized a little of it in ourselves or in other people we know or whatever. But I don't like that movie that much. I don't like it. I, I appreciate the acting in it. Yeah, it's and, well it's yeah. well everyone's good in it. Yeah, yes, but yeah. I think it it also is one of those movies where I just struggle to find any kind of toehold. I feel like there is an assumption in some of his movies that you are on the same level as of some of these characters. Right. So he doesn't need to give you an in, but right. like with Squid in the Whale and with Margot, I'm just like, I Margo don't like tough. these people. Yeah. And I come a little close to that in this movie. I right. think it eventually I kind don't. of like lets you in. Sure. Yes. Yeah. But, but there's a lot of this movie where I'm just like, this is like being stuck next to a group of people you don't like at a restaurant and like their conversation is drowning you out and all you want to do is kind of leave. I'm just like, I don't want to spend time in proximity with these people. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of grew on me at the end. Sure. But I, I just needed more. I wanted him to stretch a bit more and this felt like very comfortable. Well, so my, you know, I really, I love kicking and screaming, which is, you know, that's a yeah. classic of any, of the genre. Absolutely. And, a great debut by him. But yeah, I was always sort of like, you know, that was the Baumbach movie I loved. Squid and the Whale, which was, I feel like, his big comeback. I was sort of indifferent to. Francis Ha's my favorite. Well, then, and then he makes Greenberg, which is a, a remarkable movie, although yes. it is skin crawling. Uh-huh. But it is really good. But it's intended to be skin crawling. Uh, yes, it is. Which it I is. feel it, like sometimes his movies aren't always. No, for sure. That Right. That movie is, I mean, also it has a really wonderful Greta Gerwig performance that yeah. is not skin crawling. Right. Um, and then, yes, but then he makes these movies with, with Greta Gerwig, Francis Ha and Mistress America that I adore. But then this year, we both saw Lady Bird. Yes. And of course, Gerwig co-wrote both of those movies with him. And Lady Bird is so great and has such spirit and like energy. And I was sort of thinking to myself, like, oh, is she sort of the magic ingredient? Mm. But then I see this movie and I really loved it. So like, I know. But, but so it may, like one thing I maybe, I didn't mind the comfort of it so much because I was almost happy to see him return to his comfort zone. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's also just this movie opens with Adam Sandler wearing a jacket with his daughter in the car trying to park and like they're rambling at each other about you know should we go vegetarian and like this is a good song on the radio and i put this on a tape for you when you were like 12 was that was that a spot yeah he's taking it how did i miss that Go around. We've been around. I'm going to go further east. I love Adam Sandler when he's trying. Yeah, right? which is you not know, always, especially recently. Years, right. It's not been the case much. Uh, and I was so immediately connected to that character that I was, I was in. Yeah. Where it seems like you uh, needed some time. I did. I think it's also just like, you know, this movie, a lot of... Sandler's gotten a lot of talk for his performance in this. So good. And he is good. And yeah. Stiller's gotten some talk. He's, he's also good, he's too. He's actually excellent uh, in, a mu- in a much more difficult role because yeah. it's like not, he doesn't have as much sort of like big sort right. of emoting he's more to do closed. until he's the like, end. Yeah, he, he keeps it all in. Right, he's that, a bottled up guy and he's kind of a jerk, but yeah. like not in an extreme way. They're just, both kind of jerks, though. I don't know. I think, yeah, but, yeah. You know, Sandler's like, I, a sad sack, but yeah, he is. He is. But he's also, I don't know. Like it, it, they're, they're both variations 
on these personas that they like. It's funny because like these are both like as comedic actors, they're both guys who like have rage bottled up. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, Sandler yes, is more like course. the kind of person who lets it out. He's right. a good In angry ways, man. It's just glorious watching him scream. Whereas right. like Stiller Stiller's hasn't done that like, as much, but that was his nineties reputation. That was, was it. Mr. It was supposed Furious to be like bottled up, right? right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the friends episode where he yells at the chick. Right. Do you remember that? I do. <sighs> Sorry. Well, I That's sort of do. I don't like, I was never a friends watcher. It's the, the it's, he dates, Rachel for a couple episodes and Ross is the only one who sees his rage and so Ross keeps being like no this guy's crazy and no one believes it and then finally (laughs) everyone watches him screaming at the chicken hey hey there little fella Mr. Fuzzy Man how you doing oh 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 ew gross (laughs) idiot (laughs) little fuzzy yellow creature Oh, look at me. I'm so cute. I'm a little chick who's disgusting. God, you're so stupid. How are you not yet extinct? It is kind of, it deals with both of their on-screen, like, legacies a bit. Like, yeah. these these characters are variations on those. And I feel like maybe Sandler, who I think is, like, I like I gravitate more towards in this movie. But I think it's, I, I, in part, because you're like, uh, it's really nice to see Adam Sandler, like, alive again. It is. It's nice again. to see him try. It's yeah, always and nice engaged, to see him try. You know, I... And Netflix really has taken whatever it, whatever of his soul remained and bottled it and put it in like deep in the ground. So right, it's, right. It's nice that they almost like gets to do a Netflix movie that's not you know. Well, like so many of the those movies, yeah. Well, so or, many of those yeah. movies, it just feels like he shows up so that his friends can get have work. And then he just stands right. in the middle of a movie that like swirls around him, and that like he clearly does not care about. No, yeah. No. <laughs> like if I pointed a gun at him and said like, "What's the name of your character in the Do Over?" Mm. He wouldn't know, right? I don't know. Maybe he would. Maybe <laughs> I don't um, think he would. Maybe I don't I think he would. I mean, well, well, talk to me more about this movie. Okay. I want to hear like you. You love it from the beginning. <laughs> Tell me because it's also like it is sort of episodic it, it is, is which yeah. i like i like yeah. episodic movies um like this but i mean again but i like i like like his last non-gerwig movie while we're young was a non-episodic movie that was him trying to make this like uh structured movie with like a plot and a twist and mm-hmm. stuff that movie's not great it's not like the worst or anything like it's okay yeah and like i'm more like this where like the uh, the weird audaciousness of like a month episode and then a day episode and then like a year episode yeah, you know because the hospital stay like I mean I think part of what he's trying to say is like time has no meaning once you have like a dad in the hospital and it's like mm. um, but anyway uh, what do I like about this movie well I am a, a Jewish boy from New York <laughs> and I will say like I love the Adam Sandler parking scene but then they walk into the house and you've got uh, Harold puttering around and he's like yelling upstairs because like the door was left open and Emma Thompson's yelling like it was the Con Ed guy, and he's like, it was three days ago. And I've just been in that house so many times mm-hmm. in my life, in my childhood. Like, and and I, and so it was, but like, this is the thing you're saying, comfort zone. I mean, yes, <laughs> he's in my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to deny this. No. Um, so it feels, he just, I think he has a real sense of detail uh, with this stuff that always feels very funny and winning and like comfortable to me um and then yeah so i but then i what i love about the movie is the depiction of the two brothers and the weird duality of the depiction of the two brothers like so the adam sandler part of the movie is a little languorous and kind of aimless they're just sitting around there's this big sequence where they go to moma 
in Black Tie, <laughs> which is also a Step Brothers gag. I'm realizing, so maybe this is a Step Brothers. Royal Ted and Bob Step Brothers. But like, you know, they're both kind of lumps. Like Adam Sandler's kind of a better lump in that scene, uh, and Hoffman. Who's been in the news recently? Who I, I, he, I picked this movie before Justin Hoffman was in the news. I don't. I don't mean to be too topical. <laughs> no, <it's okay>. God, <laughs> um, <laughs> Hoffman's like you know. That's where Harold's really learning, like or being reminded, like oh, I am not an important artist. No one knows who I am. Like right, you know. So you've got this big, long, aimless section that ends with nothing in particular. They go to the MoMA party. It's kind of a bummer. And Adam Sandler's like, I think I'm going to go stay with my sister for a while. Yeah. Right. And then you have this one day scene with Stiller's character. Or is it maybe two? Because he's in L.A., I guess. There's like that opening little joke with Adam Driver's character. But like, you know, where he's like. That's not. He's in New York, though, isn't he? He is in New York. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because they're making a law for him. Right. Yes. Right. Right. No, you're right. You're right. And he plays some kind of rock star or something. He's who's like just a rock star. He his wants money like a away. pool. Yeah. And like, and Sandler's like, you don't need the pool right, right now. And he's, you know, and it's like a great scene of him talking this guy into convincing himself that he knows he doesn't need a pool, you know, yeah. rather than just telling him. Um, but no. And then it's like this sort of high tension. Also very relatable to me as a Manhattan <laughs> Jew. Scene of them like going to restaurants and they don't mm. like the seats and like the water is bad or what I like, you know. And that like this this weird little like travelogue of a day that ends up at Candace Bergen's house that is so tightly wound. Like and I so I love that. Yeah. You know, like that he's putting you in this sort of atmosphere and he's putting you in these people's bodies through how he tells each story. And then I love the hospital stuff too mm-hmm. because I've you know I've been in that situation. A lot of people have been in that situation. It's hard to capture on screen. Like the thing with like the nurse who you're like, this they, is this is the, the nurse. great. This nurse. is the nurse who knows. I love this nurse. <laughs> and this nurse has like forty patients and is like, no, yeah, it's nice to see you. And like, but they're they're always talking about the nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to point out one thing about the hospital scene. This is unrelated to my yes. movie. My friend Pilot pointed out to me is there's a scene where. Adam Sandler has a yogurt and a banana uh-huh. at the um, cafeteria. Yes. And he walk, gets up and walks over to another table to get salt and pepper and sits back down. And I can't for the life. I've now watched this movie twice. I don't know why he needs salt and pepper for a yogurt and a banana. That opens a, a lot of questions <laughs> about whether the salt and pepper goes on the banana or in, <laughs> in the, the yogurt. yogurt? Is it he, all is getting gonna, mixed yeah, together? Is he going to dip the banana in the yogurt? I don't know. These are the questions that you really need to go to a press day for, just so you can be like Noah Baumbach. Noah. I know I have interviewed him. I didn't interview him for this movie, <laughs> but uh, it's a nice interview. But anyway, and so, you know, it's building, but like, I'm, I'm sort of talking all over the place, but it's building to this wrestling with this, the dad's legacy at this art show, mm-hmm. this pathetic art show sure. at Bard. Right. Uh, where my brother went to college. I'm really deep. <laughs> you were deep in this movie. In like this movie, movie speaks to you I'm, on like a does. very personal level. I appreciate that. Uh, and um, it has a scene that I don't like. Can we can spoil? The yeah, movie, let's yes? let's do it. If I mean, you're really afraid, this is not really a spoilable movie. Exactly. But like, let's I mean, I mean say, yeah, it has a climactic moment that I don't like, which is two grown men wrestling. You know, yes. sort of aim like pointlessly. It's, it's, like, like, it's like stepbrothers in a bad way. Exactly. Like that's a gag that there's just no reason to do it anymore. There We've are, seen yeah, that. There are occasionally hacky bits in this movie, considering that it that is, is a movie. That is the hackiest Yeah, bit. and that is the hackiest bit. What, what, what's another hacky bit, though? I don't know. I just feel like, oh, 
I don't have to go through. That's fine. Like, I, I, but like, yeah, I just feel like every once in a while, I'm like, for a movie that is like very supposed to be like grounded in specifics and like these kind of like subtle, subtle dramas and power dynamics and things, there are moments where I was like, oh, that's a little sitcom-y like that. Like the the fighting. It's, it's, and it feels like Baumbach being like, we need a sort of, you know, the emotions to build and sort of explode into this fight but of course then the fight will be very silly because they're two you know two grown men right yeah. right like yeah and i just i just don't think there's he needs that at all because what you know what you really get is this scene where uh stiller's character who is a money man and knows what to do and has sold his father's home starts crying as he like reckons with his legacy in this pathetic art show and then Sandler gives the weird angry speech where yes. he's like, he better be good or else, <laughs> like, why Why did I yes. live with right, him my like, whole life with all this nightmare in my uh-huh. head? And uh, it just got to me. Yeah. I wish there wasn't the wrestling scene. Yeah. I, it's funny because I like the movie more towards the end, but I think the last part is the weakest part. <laughs> like, yeah. The whole, like, I... It is. I mean, this movie's too long. Well, it also, like, it is in some ways, it's a movie about living with people. And so the idea of having to reach a point of catharsis is almost, like, antithetical right, to you what it's trying to do. Right. You almost don't want that. Right. Sure, like, a that. big moment. As much as, like, a movie cries out for that. Because like, the big moment is, I guess, that Sandler realizes, like, I can't just, like, sit around with my dad. Right. Because, waiting for him to approve of me. And, right. Because yeah, yeah. he doesn't die in his hospitalization. Right. And then he's just back in his country home. And he kind of, he's like, I need you. I need you yeah. to help me out. And, like, it's Sandler's character being like, well. Right. I got a life of my own now. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I'm, right. you know, which is a fine end point. Yeah. But you're saying you'd rather it was just like, well, they're all stuck together forever. Family. <laughs> That's it. That's how it works. Right. <laughs> Which and you is don't, fine. You yes. don't necessarily. Yeah. You don't necessarily grow in those relationships. Sometimes you're just they're stuck where they are. And that's how yeah, it is. Um, I will say before we close up the what the parts that I did really like about this were actually the parts in which you see like this older generation of New York kind of leaving New York. I mean, that is part of yes, what this is about, which call. is like, yeah. they have, it's like in the East village, the house, right? Mm-hmm. They have an East village house that With like, like a basement. Right. That's his studio. And like, it's which this... was like when they bought it, clearly it was just like an arty neighborhood that was yeah. like kind of a rundown neighborhood. Right. And, and it's it like now... a tenement house. It's very thin. Yeah, right. Very narrow. And it's kind of cluttered with a whole lifetime's worth of stuff. Uh, detritus of like children and like collection, like artworks and all of that. Yes. And there's something like that is that is very poignant about like when they sell the house because it's now worth like millions of dollars, of you know, and like people come in and are just already calculating about yeah, like looking at the bone water the pressure house. and like, yes. yes, well, they'll put this and that. And there is this like bit of sadness to be like the idea that you could be a kind of failed artist right. in New York, a like mediocre a, a medium, artist who's yeah. also a college professor, right? You know, right. Some money, but that, like, but that, like, it's like a really difficult thing to do now. Yeah, <laughs> like, impossible to like imagine to, to live in Manhattan and mm-hmm. do that and have that kind of life. That's an era that is, is ending. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I mean, that is, I'm sure, a little bit what he's wrestling with too. Just like how Sweet in the Whale. You know, that one of the big things in Squid of the Whale is when the dad moves from Park Slope to yes. Leopard's Garden. And he's like an extra stop on the Q train. And, and he and makes all of these excuses for it, but it's also like... It's it's such it's, a... Like, right, he's aware that he's been loss like... Loss of status. Right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean I, I mean, I really do like it. I'll admit the second time I noticed how long it was mm. where the first time I was really in it, but I was watching it at home, which sometimes can make movies more boring. That's in true. My opinion. That's true. I, um, I saw it in the New York film festival screenings. So sure. I know I, yeah. my first viewing was at a screening. Yes. Um, 
Uh, and I will, yeah, the, the end, the last part, which is supposed to be long, feels long. Yeah. And, you know, maybe a little aimless. And it I, ends... It ends multiple times. It, the movie. It's like five times. Yeah. But we do get one last thing with Emma Thompson, who is delightful. We she's, didn't even talk about her. And we didn't talk about her. She's reprising funny. her Harry Potter performance. She's great. <laughs> I mean, she's very funny. Yes. The shark. Yes. Uh, she makes the she shark. She cooks all of these hideous I meals. Know this woman, too. It's so, like, yeah, anyway. Uh, I, but I do like it. Yeah, I don't think Noah likes that it's on Netflix, but it's nice that it's on, you know, Netflix has this as part of the repertoire, I guess. Yeah, I, you know, there are way worse movies for them to invest in. Yeah. Um, and I'd happy to see more. Yeah. All right, well, that's right. the Meyerowitz Stories. You can find it on Netflix. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Good afternoon, Mr. Ward. Good afternoon. You live up on Johnson Road? Yes. You lived there all your life? Yes, I lived there all my life. And you said you had a few brothers? Yes. Roscoe, Lyman, William? Yes. Remember this question? Award from the statement. How do you feel about his pain? Remember that question being asked? Yes, I remember that question. Remember the answer? I felt that he should go to the doctors. My feelings were that I felt Bill would be better off away from his pain, so he wouldn't be in pain and hollering anymore. Well, I remember that. You gave that statement, right? Yes. Remember this question? After Bill went to sleep, what did you decide to do? Yes, I remember that question. Remember giving this answer? I decided to put my hand over his mouth. I reached around behind him with my right hand and put it over his mouth. He struggled for a little bit, but then stopped. I wanted to make sure that Bill wasn't suffering anymore, that he was dead. Yes, I remember that. So we are talking adult brother movies. There's not really like a good way to say this. It Grown makes up it, brothers. It sounds like a little dirty if you say adult, adult brother, brother movies. <laughs> like it sounds like a... I don't well, know. And also, right, because when I was trying to pick movies, it's not like you can just Google like... Movies about brothers. I mean, there's a lot of brothers in movies. Right. They haven't yeah. necessarily grown up yet. Right. Yeah. Right, right. But no, we were talking specifically about brothers who are no longer children mm-hmm. be- and they are past that age of like, we all hang out together or maybe like, I kind of bully you because I'm the older brother. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that still lasts a bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's really, I think, most interesting about these or the ways in which the dynamics you had or didn't have as children kind of get summoned, especially in my Arrowhead stories. Yes. Like how they bleed through when you're supposedly past all of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, it's a broad category. I don't know if you have any other, do you have any other general thoughts about movies about adult brothers when you were like thinking of what to do? Mostly that when I, dis- when I sort of suggested it, I was like, there's tons of movies like Meyerowitz out there, right? And uh, immediately was like, no, there aren't. It's actually an unusual, you know, sister movies, I feel like are a little more common in a right. weird way. Because they're, it's a particular kind of movie aimed at women, which yeah. used to be like about your fond or difficult relationship with your sister. Right. And I think it is sort of an annoying binary thing, but it's true where it's like, you're not going to make a movie for men about like four men aimed at a male audience that's like about like, isn't it hard to have a brother sometimes? Like, you know, they're going to make oh. an action movie instead or what? You know, like... It's, right, right, right. So, um, which almost, like, it's sort of surprising that Meyerowitz feels more unique than I thought it was. Well, I think 
Because the movies yeah. I picked are not like the Marvel <laughs> stories. Well, I think it's interesting, and this is true. Maybe I'll just use this to jump into my first pick. Yes, but like that, in. that it's we don't really have a good template for how brothers, brothers are be. supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, like to maintain a grown-up relationship mm. because in this, like kind of like within the boundaries of like old traditional masculinity, you're not the ones like kind of burdened with keeping up those relationships right right? like it's the women in the family who are supposed to make sure everyone keeps in touch and so we don't really have a good template for what it means which is why i think that's like one of the things that's at the heart of brothers keeper Mm -hmm. is my first pick which is on netflix and is the 1992 doc from joe berlinger and the late bruce sanofsky um it was their first film uh they would go on to make the paradise lost trilogy afterwards which is a big deal and then go on to make many other documentaries and Metallica, some kind of monster. And Which one? Blair Witch 2, well, yes. colon, Book of Shadows. One of the weirdest movies ever made. It definitely is. They're <laughs> oh, like, sorry, Ill- yes. no, no, it's, uh, you, it's good that you brought it up. They're ill-fated <laughs> venture. They had a fiction. good idea for that movie, and I think it got screwed up and like taken away from them. Yes. I, um, that movie's weird anyway. It is very weird. I, I was seated next to Joe Berlinger at a lunch like a few years ago, oh, yeah. and he was telling me about how that movie like really kind of like became this turning point in his career because he was like, I'm not sure what to do next. Mm-hmm. It was like such so badly received and it, it went so poorly. Received unfairly. Well, it is pretty bad. It's bad. It's interesting. Just <laughs> it's because just it's interesting, interesting it doesn't right. mean it's not also bad. I just think if you're going to make a sequel to Blair Witch, you should make a movie about people who saw the Blair Witch Project and are inspired by it. Oh yeah, and some some it's, spooky stuff happens. And you yet, know? did that happen when they did the reboot? No, either. Yes, the reboot was much worse. The reboot made Blair Witch Two look good. <laughs> Anyway, sorry. Yes. No. So either way, basically, don't do anything new with the Blair Witch Project is the moral of this story. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but this doc, this doc. Uh, which they were starting, um, I think they made it when they were working for the Maisels, and it's definitely like a Maisel-style documentary, uh-huh. is about this 1990 alleged murder that happened in Munsville, New York, in upstate. It's kind of a farming community. And the murder was of one of four brothers who lived together on this rundown house on a farm. Um, the ward boys, everyone would call them. Though they're not boys, they're like men in their 60s and 70s. They are gray-haired and bearded and extremely eccentric and apparently don't seem to take very good care of themselves. Um, It's for gray gardens. Yeah, it does have a bit of that. Uh, And then it's the death of Bill, which is one of the brothers, a brother who was ill, uh, that becomes the center of the story. Bill was sick, uh, and at first his brother Delbert confessed to killing him as a mercy killing. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he denied it. He said that he hadn't understood what was going on, uh, that he was coerced. And all of the brothers are like barely literate. Okay. And it's unclear throughout if they are, they have like a kind of mental disability, uh, developmental disability, or if it's just that they, they weren't educated. Weird life, right. They've right. led yeah, this yeah. weird kind of isolated life and they didn't get much education. Um, but either way, they were very isolated. Um, and what's really fascinating about this doc is that it follows as the community kind of suddenly takes up arms on behalf of these men who they were never very close to, to begin with in part, because it's like, they're still one of theirs as opposed to all of the outsiders who start descending on the community, Mm -hmm. uh, the state police and then the media, because this becomes a huge media, like, uh, a crime that the media loves. Connie Chung at one point does a story Amen. on this. Yeah. Um, so all these outsiders come to town and there is in a way this very much like the, the more that they talk to the townspeople, the more that it kind of explores this, like they're still, they're part of our community. Not like you goddamn New Yorkers, yeah, you know, yeah. and like, uh, which is like a dynamic that continues to it be does, re- very right? relevant. You don't understand. Yeah. Because, yeah. And uh, the movie is very kind of, 
very even handed in terms as this like trial unfolds and as, as the coverage intensifies. But I think like, as I said, key to this is this idea of like, no one knows what to do with these brothers who just live by themselves Mm -hmm. that like, there's one part where they ask some of the brothers, like, did you ever want to get married? And they're kind of like, yeah, no, not really. Like I don't, no, no, no. Like bring a woman here. Like, could I do that? Like, um, yeah. And they're not, they're clearly not, I think, as as kind of slow-witted as the defense actually wants to try and portray them as, sure. as being like almost children in old man's bodies. Uh, but at the same time, there is like, the question remains at the middle. And there is this hint of like incest there that like the brother was killed, there was semen on his leg. They, the brothers both, like they shared two beds. And so that was part of the reason it was such a media, there was a media frenzy over this. But I think speaks to, like the interest in that speaks to the fact that like there is this idea that as men they should have gone off and you know yes, it is right. unseemly what, they in have a way. violated the rules of society by not like, right it is unseemly yes, yes to right, be a yeah. group of men living together like this yes. and that the the kind of the ways in which the movie allows that to be and allows the different ways that people react to it is really I think it's both like very delicately handled mm-hmm. and really. I think like very smartly done, uh, like especially as a doc that kind of like keeps its is like keeps its opinions to itself. Right, a it's lot. not taking a, a stance like these men are innocent. These are whatever, right, sure, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a great documentary hmm. and it is streaming on Netflix. Uh, it's definitely worth a look. It it, it is interesting that you bring up Grey Gardens because it definitely feels like it occupies a place in between Grey Gardens and Paradise Lost. Right. right. Like it is like falls right. squarely in the crime, middle. crime, but yes. it's also a bunch of weirdos in the Yes, house. and yes. eccentrics and like endearing mm-hmm. uh, eccentrics. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's my first pick, Brothers Keeper on Netflix. I've never seen it. I, I'm, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, my first pick is Basket Case, uh, the 1982 horror film by Frank uh, Henenlotter, who is mostly famous for making the Basket Case movies. Of which he made three. He also made Frankenhooker. Okay. <laughs> that I've heard of. Yeah. Uh, you never heard of Basket Case? No. Oh, wow. Okay, so Basket Case is uh, a very, very cheaply made comedy horror film that is still quite gory. But, you know, it definitely, you know, the tongue is in cheek throughout. Um, about a young man uh, by the name of Dwayne, played by Kevin Van... Hentenrick. I'm looking at my phone for these because I do not... I mean, these are not professional... They don't seem like professional actors. (laughs) This movie has a, you know, 80s porn film level of sort of acting quality. A lot of people basically almost looking at the camera as they say their lines. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And he's a young guy in New York City. He's moved in to, like, uh, a flop house, basically, in, like, Times Square. And this is a real great like new york in the 80s movie is shot right on times square uh made for no money and it's a you know a depiction of a community that is lost (laughs) for better or worse um and he has a basket with him a big basket yes no no this is not just a metaphorical basket case okay uh and in his basket (laughs) i'm sorry in his basket is his brother um who is well, he's like a sort of like a torso with arms and like there's kind of a face in the torso. Okay. He's a monster. Uh he was like a conjoined twin 
who was Ooh. cut off of him as a when they were born together. Yes. And as a teenager, they were separated, but they share a mental bond of because course. of this late. Um, uh, what do you call a deconjoining? <laughs> what a separation. Uh, his brother is called Belial, and uh, which I think is like a demonic. Demon, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and you know he likes to he likes to kill people. I mean, who doesn't? Uh, yeah. Uh, which mostly you know. So he's mostly a puppet. Okay. Who kind of like waves his arms around? Once in a while, he's stop motion, and those scenes are tremendous. Um, but he mostly kills you just kind of by like putting his paw, his little claw on your face, and you're like, ah, and then there's like blood everywhere. It's very lo-fi. But anyway, this is a movie about their bond. Yes. And, um, you know, how Dwayne has to look after his basket brother, um, but also knows that his basket brother just wants to murder people. So it's kind of like trying to find the right people for him to murder, trying to kind of keep him at bay. But Dwayne's also trying to make, Have his a, own life? make a life yeah, for himself. Yeah. And he falls for a girl. Belial doesn't like that. No, of course not. Now, Belial can't talk. He just sort of goes like, ah! But, um, <laughs> you know, you get, you get the impression. Um, but, but he talks in Dwayne's head, so Dwayne will have conversations with himself. It is... It is just delightful. It's streaming on Shudder. I'm sorry. Okay. I didn't even, yeah, yeah, uh, no. I didn't even uh, say that. Uh, this is SVU. Um, yes, it's on Shudder for free. Um... It's like a, a great example of those kinds of 80s horror movies where people, I feel like, could suddenly like make these schlocky movies for no money, maybe, that like, you know, on a basically a professional level. No. That, um, rather, like, you know, that just know they're shockingly silly. They know they're silly, not shocking. <laughs> they are shocking. Uh, and like, they're trying to have fun. Like, there's no, you know, there's no thematic real reason for how gory it is or like, you know, why there's this one scene where a woman undresses or whatever, you know, but like... We're just throwing in all things for like titillation and yeah, uh, to provoke you. Where, yeah, it's like the movie just kind of has like a blunt stick and it's kind of poking you with it. Uh-huh. And like, you're tickled by it. Uh, and it's it's just kind of delightful and... Sweet is strong, but uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, you know, affecting in a way. Uh-huh. Uh, it has these terrible flashback scenes where you see him as a kid with the, <laughs> the, the doll attached to him, and th- those are the worst parts. But you know, it's like it's it's honestly the first thing that sprung to my mind when I was thinking about brother movies um, because there's something about this image of this real like um, hick kid, you know, walking down. 42nd Street with a wicker basket the size of an ottoman, you know, a giant wicker basket <laughs> under his arm that is, it is sweet. Like, it's so sort of like uh, strangely sentimental that he's like, because he, he could look, look, Belial doesn't have feet. Like, you know, he could get away from him pretty quickly. <laughs> just get in a car and like move to another <laughs> right. city. Like, that he like can't shake his bond to this monster as uh, as terrible as this monster is and this movie you know it's mostly just fun to watch you know it has creepy moments when the monster's eyes go red and he's sort of shrieking like it's a little jarring but it's just a movie about how these brothers and you know 
I'm sure it doesn't have the best view. Of, I mean, it doesn't have the most evolved view of Siamese twins. I shouldn't have the conjoined twins. Uh, you know, who uh, have, have you know, had a long run in movies exactly. of, of dealing with difficult things. Um, so ignoring that, you know, it is about a, this sort of inexorable bond of family, right? Like, because I'm sure this movie is also sort of just thinking like, well, a conjoined twin, you literally can't escape them, right? Even if you're separated from them. Right. Forget that. Just think of them as brothers. And uh, then I feel like this movie becomes like kind of affecting, even though it's uh, like totally <laughs> stupid and disgusting. It's great. God, every it's great. It's a, it's a genuinely great movie. What's in the basket? Yeah, I definitely would like to see that movie. Yeah. And also, like when I was thinking of this topic, I did think of both Stuck on You. And uh, and Dead Ringers, you know? Yeah, I definitely thought of Dead Ringers. Sure. That was one I... I mean, that's a great brother movie. That is. And that's also streaming on Shudder if you're interested in checking it out and you have not seen that movie. Just incredible. It is. And it literally... Yeah, it has... Oh, Jeremy Irons is incredible <laughs> in that movie. I love that movie. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Um, all right. So you had mentioned that you did not think that there was really an equivalent of like a brother movie that was like the chick flick mm. style thing for women with movies about sisters. But I will say, I think my next pick basically is because <laughs> mm-hmm. it is, it is a man weepy. It is super violent, but it is absolutely just like leaning the most qu- like sneakily sentimental movie. And part of what I like about it is that it basically has to cloak all of this in extreme violence in order to be about manly emotion, sibling mm-hmm. emotion. It is Warrior, mm. which is available for rent right now. Uh, this would be Gavin O'Connor's 2011 mixed martial arts extravaganza starring Tom Hardy and Joel mm-hmm. Edgerton as two estranged brothers who are even more estranged from their alcoholic dad, played by Nick Nolte, which, as we discussed before this, got an Oscar nomination Damn for right. this movie. Yeah. Uh, this movie is not a hit at the time. Uh, it was not a financial success, though it wasn't like... It wasn't like a bomb. Yeah, it, it wasn't was a bomb. An... It didn't do as well yeah. as it clearly hoped. And especially for something that is like a crowd pleaser like this. Um, but it has since crept up, unsurprisingly perhaps, in the internet's estimation. I was looking this up and it's it's like in the hundreds of the... IMDb top 250. Which is an interesting <laughs> barometer. Maybe not the best, but no, it, it is a but real I think barometer. It's, like, it's very telling about the type of movie this is, which I very sincere, like I really like this movie. Um, yeah, so Hardy plays a character named Tommy, sure. who was a Marine, who's back from being deployed uh, in the Middle East. I don't know if they actually say Iraq or where he's, but like, so he's back. Um, and he's like, clearly something happened that was bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he goes and turn, turns up at his dad's doorstep. It's basically like, I don't want to repair this relationship, but you can start training me again. Right. And his dad is sober and wants to repair this relationship despite what he's just been told. And just like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll win you over, terrifying Tom Hardy. Meanwhile, Edgerton's character is like a former, not that successful UFC fighter who became a physics teacher. Mm-hmm. He's a dad owns a house and is upside down in his mortgage. I think one of the things that is actually in a way that like it was, it was like kind of ahead of its time. Like this is a movie about uh, white poverty yep. or like and white. Uh, what's the term? Economic desperate, economic uncertainty, as they economic say. Economic anxiety. Yes, economic anxiety. For, yes. But it is about like it's all set in like Pennsylvania, yep. and then like the the final sequence when there's a a big tournament is in Atlantic City. But it is about uh, about various characters who are basically like desperate to to one save their house and right. the other to like give money to um, one of his. 
uh, the people he serves with, with um, her widow. Mm-hmm. So right. it is like it is all just fueled by needing money. Right. There's no craving of f- fame in the, or whatever or like right. opulence. It's right. Just there's like, this kind yeah, of like weird sadness. Low rung, let's try to survive. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there is something about the way, and in a weird way that I think like has this kind of honesty to it that I think sometimes boxing movies struggle with, which mm-hmm. is that like, it's like you were literally like beating someone, beating the pulp out of someone for the amusement of like a crowd of screaming people. Right. And, and in this case, and the like, UFC is even yeah, raw. Right. In that regard. And in yes. this case, there's like it, the, the tournament is literally funded by like, I think a tech billionaire or something right. who's just like, I want to see who the toughest man of all time is. Right. So right. it's really just like, like just like are you not entertained right it's a blood um, sport but yeah. it is like super entertaining movie like all of the, all of the fighting is like super violent and extremely entertaining mm-hmm. uh you know hardy did not quite become the a-lister that i think he is at this point but he this is the year before dark knight rises yeah. right and so he's, he's already sort of swole that's mode. it like yeah. he's in this kind of shape that like makes him look he like his neck is gone. Like yeah. it's just his shoulders just like go right up into his ears. He's just like so buff and like is so legitimately frightening and mesmerizing mm-hmm. in this. He seems I feel like he has no lines at all. He's he, like, an astonishing physical actor. He, like he, he really is. is. Yeah. And I just like he's so compelling in this. And Edgerton like gets the kind of the more underdog role but is also I mean it's been like he's the dad and he's a teacher and uh, I think, you know, it's the less showy role but he's very good in it. Yeah, he's a good um, actor too. So you, you won't forgive me, but you, you forgave Pop. No, he's just some old vet that I train with. You know, he means nothing to me. And what I hear, he means nothing to you either. You got balls talking about forgiveness. That has nothing to do with forgiveness. I got children, man. I got a family to protect. Everything I do is for them. I forgave Pop. Just like I forgave you and Mom. You forgave us? Yeah. I'm not surprised you made the tournament, Brennan. You got some stones, man. There's something about this movie that I love that it becomes this like operatic story of how two brothers will like get like kind of contend with this horrible pain of their childhood by like, of course, eventually meeting in the ring and just like hurting each other horribly but like in this where like because it's ufc it's also like they're literally hugging each other because they're grappling on the floor mm-hmm. and there was something about that where i was just like this is like what this extremely testosterone heavy needs to do movie needs to do in order to have them reconcile and there's something kind of weirdly honest. lovely and honest about that yeah. um that it is like it is the kind of movie that is like fully aims to make you ball at the end mm-hmm. but it does that in with these few characters who have like just tried to like choke each other out in, <laughs> in a in a mixed martial arts uh, cage. Yeah, in, in, in an octagon. In an octagon. Yeah. yeah. So I I do I fully recommend this movie. I think I've talked about it ages and ages ago on the podcast. But you know, I was I rewatched it the other night. And it was like still good. Yep. Ridiculous. I think it has a. Um, I can't remember the song that's uh, the national song, I think is like the. Okay, right. Yes, yes that rings a fake. Uh, well, I have seen this movie. Uh, that like plays a major emotional part in it. Uh, Start a War, I think oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that's the kind of movie this is. It's a mixed martial arts movie that wants to make you cry mm-hmm. and that features heavily a song by the national. 
I feel like, yeah, you're, and the boy weepies are often the sports movies, right? Yeah, that is, that is a classic uh, way of getting to that uh, whatever emotional, the, the Tootsie Pop, you know, the, <laughs> the center of the Tootsie Roll Pop. Um, I like that movie a lot. I haven't seen it since theaters, but uh, I, now I'm going to watch it again. Uh, well, it's available for rent. Yes. And my second pick, well, so you, it's funny that you mentioned Dead Ringers, which is a movie I thought about uh, picking because uh, it is such an obvious. But then uh, when I went with another David Cronenberg movie, mm-hmm. uh, History of Violence. That's a good one. I, 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 it's, it, it's, it's a movie I really love. Uh, and it's such a, I, for rewatching it for this, I forget, it's such a lean movie. It's 90 minutes long. And it's really like five scenes. You yeah. know, like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's so... Even though it's not like it doesn't feel like a fast-paced movie exactly, it's so punchy and uh, just like gets it's like pared down, re- yeah. right? Lean, whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's a, a 2005 sort of, uh, I guess, like a it's sort of a neo noir. It was based on a graphic novel um, that's pretty different, but uh, you know that's where they drew inspiration from. Um, that Cronenberg made. It was kind of his return to like making movies people watched again. His, his <laughs> yes. Spider was his last movie, which is a decent movie, but like, you know, he had that 90s wilderness sort of and yep. where he was making really aggressively strange movies. And this is more of like a, uh, it's very violent, but very watchable thriller. I'm a big defender of existence, though. Existence is pretty great, but that movie's you know it's, it's oh, weird. Yeah, no, it's really weird. <laughs> um, and so it's about Tom Stahl, uh, Viggo Mortensen, come, who's right off of Lord of the Rings at that point, um, who's a diner owner in a tiny town in Indiana, who has a wife Edie, who's uh, Maria Bello. Remember when she was a thing? Yeah, I like her, and I, I do wish too. She was in more movies. It's a bummer. This was I feel like this was right her moment because she was in the Cooler and she was in. Uh, there's another movie that she's really good in right around. Anyway, uh, love Maria Bello. Uh, he's got a son and a daughter. And really early on, after this sort of opening scene where we see these two robbers uh, leaving their last crime scene, uh, they try and rob his restaurant and uh, Tom annihilates them this, uh, this, with precision. It's funny. It's, like, it's one of those things where you, you're like, is it fair to call this an action scene? It feels like a scene of violence. It's, in- it's a scene of a very yes. brief but very effective violence. It's an action scene. Yeah. Um, it's mostly tense because this movie is all tension, you know, because it's like the, the bad guys sort of terrorizing everyone in the diner. That's like five minutes. And then when things sort of reach a point where another woman is in trouble – uh, Tom just sort of springs into like he, th- he clocks one of them with the coffee cup. He shoots the other one. He shoots the other. Like you know, and he's hailed as a small town hero, and uh, that's all great. But he seems very disturbed by the attention. And then a uh, one-eyed, black uh, suit-clad, sunglasses-wearing guy played by Ed Harris uh, shows up, and he's like, "How you doing, Joey?" <laughs> <laughs> Can I have another cup of coffee? Joey. <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie. It's a really um, good movie. And it's a great movie. And so, you know, it's a, and I'm going to have to spoil this movie a little bit to get to the brother part. Okay. Fair warning if you're worried if you about wanna, it. Just go rent this movie. Yeah, it's available for it. rent. It's, you know. Jesus, Joey. Jesus, Joey. <laughs> uh, can I swear on this podcast? I forget. No. Okay. Yeah. So uh, there's another line that is so good uh, <laughs> that I will not. Uh, but anyway, so no. And eventually, of course, it is revealed that 
this uh, Ed Harris mobster is calling him by his real name. And Tom Stahl was once a Philly gangster who uh, was a real nasty piece of work uh, and who took out Ed Harris's eye with a piece of barbed wire, which, uh, and um, is, you know, after he, he, you know, there's a lot of the dynamics with his wife are also very interesting that I won't get into now because there's a lot in this going on in this movie, but he is finally lured back home to this sumptuous mansion in Philadelphia where his brother played by William Hurt lives and is kind of like the hell happened to you you know like and uh, they have this showdown that is just like an electrifying 10 minute scene of um brothers reckoning with each other and william hurt who was not oscar nominated which was highly deserved and it felt like hurt was back you know and then he wasn't really back which is too bad but yeah that's another conversation um communicate so much about how messed up their relationship is and how inferior he feels to Viggo Mortensen. Mm-hmm. And like, even to this day, even though he's this like crime Lord in this big house and he obviously like commands the Philly mob and like, you know, the sort of inadequacies of like these very masculine brotherly relationships. And, uh, do you like this movie? You like, this movie? I love this movie. It's so I, good. I, and I think, outside of even like all of these dynamics that you've talked about, it does really have some of the most interestingly filmed violence I've ever seen. Like it never is both thrilling from a man who knows from violence. No, too. Yes. Thrilling. And also just, he never lets you forget just like the really viscerally awful Mm -hmm. fleshly consequences of this violence. There's two shots that are kind of like, probably like two second insert shots where you're just sort of like, you've never seen a wound like that yeah. before. And it's not even that it's sort of like absurd or over the top. It's just like you say, right? Like there's some little dangling bit of skin or something. And you're just like, oh my, my God. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> and uh, right. Of course, this is a, you know, a man who is violent in a way that is very frightening. But as Cronenberg knows, like is also really, it's cool. And, you know, like there is something magnetic about like how eerily, powerful like he is when he's in this killer mode right like it makes him suddenly a more compelling person even to the people in his lives yes know it him. Does. they're suddenly looking at him with new light right like, and it sort of radiates out and it starts to affect the way his wife behaves the way his, his uh, son behaves um and uh yeah it's a great great movie it's it is a great one movie. of the best movies of 2005 <sighs> uh, available for rent on itunes and amazon and all those uh you should see this services. movie see this yes. movie Hey, let's do Get Help. What? Get Help. No. Come on, you love it. I hate it. It's great. It works every time. It's humiliating. Do you have a better plan? No. We're doing it. We are not doing Get Help. Get Help! Please! My brother's dying! Get Help! David Sims. Yes. Let's talk Thor Ragnarok. Sure. We, you know, we every this is the time in the in the podcast where we we look briefly to things that are not streaming yet. Mm. Two things that who knows where they will end up streaming, given these new deals that are always That's being made. True, the Disney deal is expiring, deals. right or whatever. Yes, so who, where not, will Ragnarok happen? You may have to uh, pay for a Disney-only streaming service in the future. One might say that uh, the film industry is in its own Ragnarok right now. Yes. One might definitely say that. <laughs> uh-huh. But in the meantime, we have this delightful superhero mm. movie, uh, the latest in the MCU from mm-hmm. Taika Waititi of What We Do in the Shadows and Boy. Uh, 
going to the big time with this one, uh, with is it the third Thor movie? Yes. Um, I don't know. Thor, Thor. Like, always been, let's just say it, he's been the weakest. No, no, I don't agree. You don't? Thor's my oh, favorite. Oh, no, I forgot that you have this terrible stance. <laughs> Why did I agree to talk about this movie? All right, go ahead. Lay out, lay out your defense of Thor. Well, no, I, I think what you're saying is probably fair, which is that of the three big Avengers, right? Thor, of, Iron Man, and, and each Captain of their America. separate strands right. of like individual movies. I mean, it's weird to think of them as individual movies these days because they're so like they blur more and more. They do blur. Some are more individual than others, yes. certainly. And yeah, so Iron Man's had three solo movies. So has Captain America. Now, so has Thor. Mm-hmm. And I, Thor is maybe like the redheaded stepchild of the three a little bit, like especially because his movies tend to interact the least with the Marvel world right. at large. Right, they take place in this, the, maybe like the silliest, or at least, uh, yes, <laughs> at the time at least, especially in the beginning mm-hmm. when this was a bit more grounded. Right. they were like, the Marvel movies are going to be, we're going to ease you in. Yeah, at this sure. point we're a full comic book, like right. unapologetically which, which, so. Which I actually like about it. But yeah, I remember, of course, way back when, when Marvel announced, like, we're doing this, we're doing it. And they announced, like, you know, Iron Man's a very grounded movie, considering. Right. And, like, they announced Captain America, and it's going to be a World War II movie, and you're like, fine. And then they were like, Thor. And I was like, how are they going to do Thor? Right. Like, Thor is pretty silly. He's a on, like, god. A, yeah. <laughs> a Norse god. Uh, but anyway, uh, so yeah. Uh, but here we are. I love the Thor movies. Mm. I mean... Kenneth Branagh's Thor uh-huh. is, is, you know, it's a flawed film. Yes. Uh, I think it's also budgetarily limited. It, it doesn't look sure. fantastic. Uh, but uh, I just love the sort of unapologetic kind of D&D, like, silliness of those movies. I think Chris Hemsworth is a very fun, you know, uh, sort of actor with a good sense of himself. Like, you know, a good sense of his screen presence and how to push it into funny places and um, and and those movies have uh, Tom Hiddleston in them, who's usually kind of who's a real MVP of the Marvel universe yeah, at large. He's really held it together in some ways. Uh, so you know he helps a lot. Um, but uh, people really hate uh, Thor: The Dark World, the second Thor movie. Yeah, people do hate that movie. Uh, and I feel like often when you know someone has the incredibly unique and original idea of ranking the Marvel movies, not to diss <laughs> anyone who does that because you know it's fine. Um, Dark World's always right there at the bottom, right? Mm. Like, people like to make fun of the Dark World. I love the Dark World. I think it's the best. I think it's so much fun. Uh, so I was going into Ragnarok maybe a little different, because I feel like a lot of people were like, oh, maybe this is a good Thor movie. And you were like, they're all good. I'm like... <sighs> I feel like the Thor movies you. are just like the most... As we get more and more Marvel movies, I find that some of them kind of slip away from my memory very yeah, quickly. And fair. I feel that the Thor ones maybe do that the most quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite my really enjoying Chris Hemsworth's kind of like, uh, you know, hunky, godlike moron kind of attitude. I think it's it's really... beefcake. Yes, I think he's very funny. And I think the fact that he gets to be really funny in this, in yes, this installment does. is like a plus. It's certainly... This is definitely my favorite of the Thor movies. Sure. I think it just goes like way out there. It doesn't try to mm-hmm. put anything grounded remotely in this. Nope. It's... Uh, I do still find it evaporates pretty quickly. I did too. I was actually surprised. I was pretty hyped up for this movie and I, I, I enjoyed watching it. had a great time. Uh, it's not really a Thor movie, which isn't even a complaint by me, but like, you know, yeah. it's really like a, it's like a, um, Bob Hope and uh, <laughs> it's Bing a Crosby movie. Yeah. It's like, a, yeah. It, you know, like, it's just like, 
we all know Thor. What if he went on a wacky adventure into space, right? I mean, like, and then and then some stuff happens. Like, what does it have to do with Thor? I don't know. You know, what does it have to do with Asgard? <sighs> Throw Asgard? it in somehow. Like, yeah. yeah. You know. And so um, I basically like the movie when it is just being the wacky road movie. I do feel like it struggles a little more when it tries to, you know, still have Asgard and have this plot with this villain played by Kate Blanchett. Right. And she, as much as I find her delightful, the movie doesn't really know what to do with her. It doesn't know what she wants, really, or what her powers are, or what, like, it's, she's this force of destruction, but, like, she's just kind of there because they need a villain. Yeah, and I think it's a movie where they're sort of like, we know we don't really have a great villain, like many a Marvel movie. Right. But if Kate Blanchett plays it, then it'll pop more, which is probably true. She has very cool horns. Mm. She throws knife things, sword yeah. things, whatever. I don't really understand what her, her knife powers things. are. Yeah, they were I don't kind know. of lame. What's her, what are her powers? I don't know. She's very powerful. She is. I mean, that's and her power. Mostly that's it. She's just scary. <laughs> very powerful. She's very terrifying. And it's, you know, this is a classic um, superhero movie, like uh, The Wolverine, which is another great underrated superhero movie, does this. Where it, it, it takes Thor's hammer away right at the start, which right. is in the trailer. I mean, I'm not giving anything away here. So it's kind of being like, what if Thor was not, you know, all-powerful god anymore? He's just like a dude who has to well, like the basic thing you do with, with Thor, though, is like, what if Thor didn't have... Because we've got someone with godlike powers. It's tough. Yeah. Um, one thing this movie does have going for it. Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, he's amazing. He's I was magnificent. I was seated very close to you at the screening, mm. and uh, in his scenes, you were laughing. I was with, delighted. You so I was so happy. There is one scene where I think I even made a gif of it, where he just basically it's it just, amazing. I know what you're about. Silent, to say. where he makes a series of expressions. <laughs> He, and he looks in the camera in a good way. Yes, mm-hmm. and it's just like, and it just is <laughs> fascinating. I, yeah. yeah, I, I mean, I think it's special that the Marvel movies are now at the point where they're just like any actor will be in them. Yes. I mean, you're getting Kate Blanchett, like, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, and they're pretty happy to be like, you got any ideas? Because like, just have fun, right. right? And Goldblum is the perfect fit for that kind of thing. I mean, yeah. his character is not important no. in any larger sense. He just has to sort of hold court for a few scenes. So it's just wonderful to watch yeah. him work the room. Like, well, right? I mean, all of the best parts of this movie are the ones in which like YTT kind of lets flickers of his own movies come through where yes. it's just like, he's just like, I enjoy you as a performer yes. or the character that he voices himself. That's the best character. He's a great character. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I, there's less and less room for personality, individual director personality in the Marvel universe. I yeah. feel there's a yes push and, and pull. No. Yes there's a push and, no. and pull. In the main ones. No, like yes. in the Russo uh, brother movies. No. Sure, but no why are those more there. main than anything else? Uh, well, I mean, the, the, the ones where everyone's grouped <laughs> okay, together, yeah, yeah. I mean, right? Yeah. You know, like, sure, sure, the sure. side ones, I feel like there's a little more like, yeah. sure, have some fun. But there's still, I know? mean, like this movie still has a lot of business to get through. It does. It and does. That, there are times where you're like, I, this would be more fun if yeah. it just kind of like dawdled with Jeff Goldblum like, holding court. Yeah. But yeah. But so yeah, it's still, it's a good time. I it's mean, a good time. I mean, you know, I do kind of salute Marvel for 20 movies in or whatever they are. Um, still making entertaining movies. Yeah, they, yeah, I mean, it's a formula, but it's a good formula that people want to go to the movie theater to see, which is hard it to is. Uh, do these days. Um, and speaking of that, let's move on to Behind the Eight Ball, the mm-hmm. segment in which we run through three releases that are new to streaming, two that were recommended by you, our listeners, and one selected randomly from our Netflix My Lists. David, why don't you go first here, since you were the guest? 
Um, should I say the one from my Netflix, my list? Why don't you give us three new releases first? Um, three new releases that I picked are uh, number one, which I believe... Well, I just found out that it was today. Uh, was uh, it's on Amazon? Is Speed Racer? Excellent choice. Uh, the Wachowskis. Well, it's not their best film. It would be silly even for me, <laughs> an avowed Speed Racer fan, to say it's their best film. Um, but a highly underrated film from the Wachowskis uh, that sort of captures the cartoony magic of the thing they're adapting in a way that like no other cartoon adaptation has ever even come close to attempting. It is one of the most wonderful visual spectacles. It's, it's like getting something injected like directly into your forehead. It like it can, it's a, it's a little intense. It's a very, very heightened, but I mean, I love, love, love speed racer. Do you love movie. Speed Racer? Oh yeah. I think we've talked about it on this. I feel like we have talked about it on this podcast and I tried to find it because mm. I definitely confess to getting teary in the big finale. <laughs> Just because it goes so big, it's, and it's, it's like the finale is amazing. It's incredible. But that yeah. movie, it's it's sincere all the way. That's yes. a fastball down the middle of sincere. John Goodman plays a character called Pops, and he is Pops Racer, father <laughs> yes. of Speed Racer. And at no point does the movie wink at the camera about the fact that this man was born Pops. <laughs> it's his name. Uh, no, it's just, you know, like everything is just straight down the middle because that's the tone they've decided on and it works, I think. What's your number two pick? Um, uh, the Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, which I believe is also on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew, Dom- Andrew Dominic's film from, uh, what's the year? When did that come out? 2007, I believe. Um, that is a painterly and languorous, uh, film about celebrity in the old West and sort of like, you know, all the iconography of, uh, the bandits and the cowboys of that era. And it's a neo, I love Westerns in general. It's a neo Western that I think makes all the right calls, um, you know, about sort of like puncturing, you know the obvious sort of myths of the era without winking at the camera like while still being this like sort of stirring and gorgeous movie i mean you know what it's about it's about the man who shot jesse james casey affleck it's in the title uh (laughs) it's a spoiler alert uh casey affleck and and brad pitt both uh, career work for both of them i think uh especially for pitt who's almost underrated in that movie because i I feel like casey affleck got a lot of those buzz sure. at the time and he got the Oscar nomination and all that but uh, Pitt who is um, like playing on his star persona in a really like sort of interesting way yeah, I'm talking too much oh. what's your third pick 42 <laughs> <laughs> this is on Netflix I think mm-hmm. uh, Brian Helgeland's Jackie Robinson biopic which is not great I'm gonna be honest okay. it's not like the best movie ever made uh, it's probably not the Jackie Robinson biopic we deserved after all these years. Mm-hmm. Remember, I mean, every, like Spike Lee tried to make it. Like it was always a movie that was in the works. But um, it is. A, I think it's a fascinating movie for two reasons. One, it was the beginning of the Chadwick Boseman moment that lasts to this day, uh, where this kid I didn't know him at all. Like this actor, where you're like, who is this guy? Not was, a kid though. Which not a kid. No, he big. was like 30 yes, when this movie yeah. came out. He's 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 old. I know. He's in. I think he's 40. Yeah. yeah. He's a. It does not he's a look. At, looks, I know. Looks looking looking great, Chadwick. I mean, uh, but uh, he's uh, surprisingly like stoic and. 
you know, even though the movie doesn't have like a very hot take on Jackie Robinson, still like invests him with a lot of you know humanity and energy and um and also this was the movie i think that starts with like harrison ford trying again i don't think it's his best performance <laughs> but in any no it's not you know but it's sort of where you see like something like the the embers have lit in harrison ford again he, mm. he goes on you know he gave some good performances after this after years in the wilderness uh and this is this is the uh, genesis point this sort of basically forgettable fine biopic <laughs> You think God likes baseball, Herb? Where? What the hell is that supposed to mean? It means someday you're going to meet God, and when he inquires as why you didn't take the field against Robinson in Philadelphia, and you answer that it's because he was a Negro, it may not be a sufficient reply. 42. 42. All right, give me two listener recommendations. Um, okay. Uh, both of these from, come from Kendall. Um, you got Hinterland, uh, which is on Netflix, uh, which is a Welsh police noir series with beautiful scenery and dark mysteries. Uh, it's a, it's got Welsh accents, the lovely, I can speak from experience, sing songy <laughs> kind of accents. Uh, uh, it's got the Welsh names. It's got the dramatic Welsh mountainous landscapes. It falls into tropey writing at times, but is mostly filled with very compelling mysteries. Uh, classic British mystery show. Every episode's 90 minutes long. There's three seasons, about four or five episodes each. Uh, that's how they make TV over there. Well, it is. Yeah. Uh, and then there's Mother, not Darren Aronofsky's uh, Mother exclamation. Mother. I wish I could find the way to say it, uh, which is also on Netflix. Uh, it's a 200, 2009 Korean film, a mystery drama from Bong Joon-ho, who made Okja this year for Netflix, in fact, um, about the murder of a high school girl uh, in which a, locally, uh, a local mentally disabled uh, teenage boy becomes the prime suspect in the murder, and his mother uh, is resolute in trying to prove his innocence and protect him. That is a wonderful movie. It is a tremendous movie. That uh, is a very good recommendation. Yes. Um, all right. And give me one from your Netflix, my list. Uh, so you gave me number nine, mm-hmm. um, which was uh, The Wave. Uh, you know The Wave? The action movie? Yeah, the the uh, Scandinavian one? 2015, I believe. Uh, is it a Norwegian film mm-hmm. directed by... It's I'm a really good name. Roar Uthaug. Uh-huh. Uthaug. How do you say that last I name? Don't know. I don't that know. That sounds good. Um, who is, I think, going to be a Hollywood um, uh, fixture because he's making the Tomb Raider right. reboot with Alicia Vikander. Uh, you know, he and uh, for $6 million made this apocalypse movie about a. A big old wave. <laughs> I have seen this movie. Uh, that, uh, you know, does a lot with uh, not a lot of, uh, you know, resources. Sure. Yeah. It's um, a, yeah, it's kind of a calling card. It's kind of like, right. give me Very much Hollywood, a calling card movie. give me a... Uh... Okay, for my three new releases, I've got... New to Netflix is Alias Grace, mm. which would be the Canadian uh, co-production uh, miniseries that is basically just like a list of Canadian royalty 
directed by Mary Heron, yep. starring Sarah Gaydon, uh, right. adapted from Margaret Atwood by Sarah Polly. <laughs> right, it's all Canadian. It's like the most, and I think that David Cronenberg has a might have like a guest appearance. I mean, like I, I think he shows he up. I know. I feel like you're actually almost not allowed to make that series without at least some mention of David Cronenberg yeah, in exactly. there. He so. should like do the catering or something. I know. At least just show up to like wave. Um, the wave. <laughs> he does. He actually he has a role. Yep. He has, he's Reverend Veringer. He's so. a good actor. He's always good as like reverends, doctors, yes, whatever. You I know, know. Like that kind of stuff. evil scientists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is new to Netflix. I have not watched it yet, but I am really looking forward to. I hear it's great. It. I hear I'm it's very great excited. Too. Yeah. Also new to Netflix is Eleven Eight Twenty Sixteen, a movie that is actually also new in theaters. Yes. Uh, documentary, though I think for some it may play as a bit of a horror film. Yep. <laughs> um, it's kind of a supergroup documentary. Got the work of multiple filmmakers around the country, curated by Jeff Deutschman. He also made Eleven Four O Eight, which was a similar documentary shot around the country uh, on the day that Barack Obama was first elected. Eleven Eight Twenty Sixteen is obviously a movie about the day Donald Trump became president. Oh, did so that, that happen? Uh, might have okay, right. happened. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe we'll read differently, but. Anyway, if you would like to revisit that day, which maybe you wouldn't, there's a documentary about it currently on Netflix. And finally, new to Fandor is Reprise. Mm. Have you seen this movie? I have, yes. I love this movie. Uh, He's a great director. Yeah, Norwegian filmmaker Joachim Trier. is not quite we both pick I know, not quite as action-y a name as Roar. Roar! Yeah, um... He has a new movie out, uh, Joachim Trier, Thelma, mm-hmm. is coming out soon. Yeah, soon. Yeah, um, But this movie, Reprise, was his debut and a film I loved about two young men who both set out to become the next great Norwegian novelist. And it becomes all about like friendship and rivalry, about being like a wunderkind and mm-hmm. about like the burdens that can come with that, but also about the idea of romanticizing uh, different types of instability as the mark of a true artist and how that something that's just like BS, you mm-hmm. know, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, but it is a great, exciting and beautifully made movie. And that is streaming on Fandor. Mm-hmm. For my listener recommendations, I've also got two from the same person. These are both from Chris in Pittsburgh, who recommends first Father Brown, who he writes, it's now streaming on Netflix based on stories and characters by G.K. Chesterton. Oh, I love G.K. Chesterton. You know, and the style and structure will be familiar to anyone who watches BBC mystery series. <laughs> You love, you like, I imagine that you used to spend all of your time like watching. Watching like old, like, like cozy, type. cozy, Co- solving right. crimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you love Midsummer Murders. Rosemary and Time. That was my favorite. <laughs> they were gardeners who solved murders. Um, anyway, so Chris writes the title character is a small town Catholic priest who, much to the chagrin of the local inspector, is a gifted sleuth. It is a warm, clever, occasionally surprising, and thoroughly British <laughs> series. So if you're out of Poirot episodes, it should scratch. A similar itch. Um, and then uh, second is uh, Christoph Kislavsky, Kislavsky, I'm So So is streaming on Filmstruck. But it's a bit tricky to find. It's actually one of the bonus features on Three Colors Red on their Criterion Collection station. But there's much more than a traditional bonus. It's an hour-long conversation with the great director, filmed shortly after he, before he passed away. Shortly after would be a real trick. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Uh, filmed shortly before he passed away, and it's the closest many of us will ever come to spending time in the presence of true genius. Considering that it played at a few film festivals in 1995 and has been almost impossible to find since then, this is the perfect time to catch up with that. That is a great recommendation, Chris. I didn't realize that that was on there. I'm going to watch that. Yeah. um, Awesome. And finally, on my Netflix, my list, you gave me number 12. I did. 
This is The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson. Mm. It's a Netflix original documentary. We've talked about the just like fire hose of content that Netflix has been stepping up even, like the flow of <laughs> the flow here. But this is a movie came from Oscar uh, nominated uh, David France. Yeah, David yeah. France. I've did seen How to movie. Survive a Plague. Um, I have not yet. I added it to Netflix and it's just like slowly getting pushed down. Yep. But it's about Marsha P. Johnson, who was, uh, you know, a trans kind of uh, icon and an activist and who was involved, uh, you know, in, in so much of Stonewall. Yeah. yeah, and all of that, but also then kind of uh, died in, under mysterious circumstances. Mm-hmm. And it, the documentary kind of like looks into. It was like called a suicide, but kind of the documentary looks into that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a movie that I feel like I, I would like to see and enjoy seeing, but there's so many movies, David. There's so no, many there's movies. there's a lot of movies, especially this time of year. And uh, yeah, it's hard to make time for the the depressing documentaries among them. But uh, yeah, I, I I I was pretty engrossed by that movie. Um, the election documentary I will never watch. <laughs> In a million years, not yeah. if you. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel bad because there are a lot of great people involved with it. Yes, no, like, I've heard ah. it's actually really good. It's but, just uh, like, yeah, I know the idea of going back to that point is really difficult. Yep. Well, David, oh that is the end of this episode of Film Spotting SVU. It's been so great having ah, you here joining me. It's been very exciting to be on this show. Um, where can people find more of your work? Uh, so I'm on. I'm in, I work at the Atlantic, uh, where I'm a film critic and I write about movies. Uh, so you can always find me there. I'm on Twitter at David L. Sims. And uh, I have a podcast called Blank Check, uh, in which uh, Griffin Newman, who is an actor and comedian and a friend of mine, and I go through director's filmographies, uh, film by film, and uh, drive each other mad, uh, wrestling with their uh, their statuses, quote-unquote, blank check filmmakers, and the passion projects they uh, sometimes are allowed to create. Uh, and it's fun. Allison's been on it. I have been on it. And uh, it's a great time. We and talked on, about the on, prestige. Yeah. We're on, yeah, we did. It's a good episode. Uh, good movie. Um, but yeah, we're on, you know, every, All the places. you can find a podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if you are in New York City and you are pining for an IRL glimpse of Matt Singer, he will be leaving the newborn behind for an evening to appear in a one night only special uh, as part of the Brooklyn Podcast Festival on Saturday, November 18th at 10 p.m. I will be in Key West that weekend. Mm. It's a hard life. Yes, uh, yeah, I'm very sorry. But Matt will have some excellent company in Dan McCoy and Stuart Wellington of the Flophouse podcast. Yes, for the first and maybe last time ever, it will be flop spotting SVU. <laughs> Great. Yes. That's great. Um, so that's at Union Hall in Brooklyn. Uh, you can buy tickets for the event at the Union Hall website. And of course, our website is filmspottingsvu.com. You can find episode archives there, as well as links to all of the titles we discuss on the show. Our remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. Listen to more of Vince's work at vincevandal.bandcamp.com. And I will be back in two weeks with more recommendations and hopefully another guest host, because it would be really sad if I just had to sit here talking to myself. (laughs) In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Allison Wilmore. David is on Twitter at David L. Sims. The show is on Twitter at FilmSpottingSVU. For FilmSpottingSVU, I'm Allison Wilmore. I'm David Sims. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 